Let's open our Bibles back to Luke chapter 2. Wonderful songs we just sang. Hymns of praise. Thank you, Lord, for giving them to us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a heart that loves to sing them. Thank you, Lord, for giving us brethren of like precious faith that love to sing them with us. We're not alone. The Lord's chosen congregational worship for his worship in the New Testament as well as the Old. This isn't the patriarchal age. It's the New Testament. We get to worship him together. I've read it to you once already. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. An angelic herald declared good tidings of great joy to all people. Do you know who the all people are, don't you? Us Gentiles were included in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He told where, where he was going to be born and, and who was to be born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He is Lord in Christ. And he is the only Savior. Many more angels joined in from the heavenly host because he is the Lord of hosts. And it was his son's birth. It's amazing what men on earth will do. Pass out cigars. Come roaring out of a waiting room because their wife has given birth to a son. This is God in heaven sending his angels and they are giving all the glory to the Father. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Many more angels joined in to praise God with the words of verse 14. This is no surprise. The angels desire to look into the things of our salvation. They said in that 14th verse, God is to be praised in the highest heavens by the highest angels and with the highest praise for he is the highest. Glory to God in the highest the highest degree, the highest means, the highest praiser, the highest heavens where God is and what he deserves. God sent peace by Jesus Christ for his people. So it says in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. But there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Peace with God by Jesus Christ is an incredible event by the power and wisdom of God. God showed his goodwill toward our race, toward his chosen ones out of our race by sending Jesus Christ to redeem some of the very worst of our race. If we were as holy and wise as Mary, we would keep these sayings and ponder them in our hearts. We know more now than she knew then, but we should still remember these things and these sayings that were given by the angels. If we were as holy and wise as the shepherds, we would noise it abroad and glorify God and praise him. What is holding us back? To be like Mary and to think about it more often. To be like the shepherds and tell everyone about it more often. Lord, help us. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. Peace is a simple concept. It is the absence of war or hostilities and freedom from war or hostilities and its anxiety. Peace is the quiet, secure, serene, and tranquil condition between two parties 
not at war with each other. Peace. It's a simple concept. It's a wonderful thing. We have great peace in America, but I'm not talking about national peace today. I'll talk about national peace with you at some other time because I do want to thank God for it. We are greatly blessed with great national peace that we do not deserve. But God in mercy has given it to us. The world doesn't have peace. They don't know the source of peace. They're constantly at war. The Christian world cannot even get that 14th verse right. Would you like to hear it? In the English Standard Version, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I thought it was he being pleased with us. I thought it says, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and it's his goodwill toward men. Not him giving peace to men of goodwill is how the versions want to run that. They can't even get Luke 2.14 right because they don't understand peace. God didn't send Jesus Christ for men of goodwill. God sent Jesus Christ for scumbag sinners like you and me. He showed goodwill toward those that belong in hell. But he cost Jesus his life on the cross. Young's literal translation, upon earth peace, among men, goodwill. The Douay Reims Catholic, on earth peace to men of goodwill. Right. No, wrong. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Peace on earth. Not national peace. Not family peace. Not economic peace. Religious peace. Spiritual peace. Legal peace. With God through Jesus Christ. Give me a few minutes to talk about peace. Consider three terrible events that took place four to 6,000 years ago by God's wrath. God was at war with this planet. We defied our creator in Eden, so he righteously drove our parents out of paradise. He didn't lead them out of the Garden of Eden. He drove them out. And he put a flaming cherub turning every way to keep the way of the tree of life. We defied him, so he righteously drove our first parents out of paradise. 1,656 years later, About 4,344 years ago, he drowned and suffocated all but eight souls for their wickedness. He was at war with this planet, and rightly so. And he drowned and suffocated old and young alike, sucking infants, wheelchair-bound senior citizens. A hundred years after that, God confounded man's language and scattered them all over the earth. Genesis chapter 11. Consider it well. Listen to these words from heaven. Get out. Regarding the Garden of Eden. Drown. Regarding the flood. Babel. Regarding the Tower of Babel. I'm dealing right now with the need for peace. There's a God in heaven that created us and we rebelled against him and he is rightful to be angry at us 
and wrathful toward this world, and he has shown it. God then picked the smallest nation on earth to befriend, and he waged violent war and fury against the rest of the nations, especially those around him. The Bible tells us that God has indignation against Amalek forever. Exodus, Deuteronomy. Are you any better than Amalek? I am no better than the Amalekites. But God has indignation against them forever, and the Bible tells us so. He hates Edom. Edom is Jacob's brother and the nation that descended from that brother. Jacob's brother was Esau. God hated Esau, and God loved Jacob. The Bible tells us that in Malachi 1 and Romans chapter 9. The nation that came out of Esau is called Edom. Malachi chapter 1, God hates Edom. God said they're going to try to build their nation, and I'll destroy it. There will be a line drawn between the border of Israel and the border of Edom. I will bless on one side of that line, and I'll wage war on the other. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7 and verse 11 says that. When his church sinned, he, God had indignation against Amalek because they did not give Israel bread and water on their way to Canaan. God hated Edom. God hated Esau from when he was an unborn twin. Romans chapter 9 and verse 11 tells us that. The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. It was said unto her, that is their mother, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And that's Edom. God is angry with the wicked every day when his church sinned. What was the church of God in the Old Testament? The nation of Israel. When that nation sinned, he first sent Nebuchadnezzar to rape the women and to raise R-A-Z-E, level, the city of Jerusalem and the temple that Solomon had built him to the ground. There is a God in heaven that hates sin. There is a God in heaven that hates sinners. The Bible says he hates sinners in Psalm 5, 5 and Psalm 11, 5. He will say to those sinners when he casts them into hell, I never knew you. Which means he never loved them because he knew every single thing about them, but he had no affectionate relationship toward them, and he will tell them that as he casts them into hell. God is willing to show his wrath and to make his power known on men. Hath not the potter. He is the potter. We are the clay. Isaiah 45, Romans 9, and a multitude of other places. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump of humanity to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. You may have a beautiful vase in your house that you keep in a central place because it's so beautiful, made from porcelain, and you ride the porcelain pony because one vessel is to honor and one vessel is to dishonor made from the same material. There is a God in heaven, and he's unlike what this world teaches because they haven't read the Bible. 
They don't study the Bible, and it's not popular with their congregations, so they preach a made-up, man-made, imagined, cotton candy, grandpa in the sky, Michelangelo on the ceiling, lie. That is not the God of the Bible. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Let's go over it again. Hath not the potter power over the clay? Yes, Lord. Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Yes, Lord. What if, these are all Bible words. This is Romans 9, 22 through 24. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? God is the potter of the human clay. He made vessels to honor and vessels to dishonor. These vessels of dishonor are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto his glory, unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Other religions try to appease God to no avail by human sacrifice, vows of celibacy, vows of poverty, self-mutilation, prayers for the dead, religious rituals of all kinds, because they can see enough. They see death everywhere. They know that there is an eternal God with power, because Romans 1 tells us that, that the natural creation tells us, and they are without excuse, an eternal power with Godhead. Brethren, you have been dropped like a paratrooper into the most ferocious and furious war ever. God against planet Earth. Because we rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden. Do you know what happened to the devil and his angels for rebelling against God in heaven itself? Cast down and reserved in chains to everlasting torment. Your life, you didn't ask to live. You were given life, and you were dropped into this inferno of an earth where God is angry against wicked men, sinners, and we are all wicked men and sinners. That's the need for peace. Was there a prophecy to get us out of this? Look at Isaiah chapter 53 with me, very briefly, very quickly. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. But he was wounded. He was wounded. Whoever Isaiah 53 is about, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Jesus, our Lord, was wounded. This is a prophecy of it. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was chastised. And he was given stripes by being scourged. Chastise means to inflict punishment or suffering upon. In case you think of chastisement lightly, you should read some of the uses of that word in the Bible. 
But you can, all you need to do is notice the context. Chastises compared to stripes of scourging, bruises, and wounding. That's a prophecy. So someone came to be wounded, bruised, chastised, and scourged in our place. Oh, oh, 700 years B.C. Thank you, Lord. You were dropped as a paratrooper into a furious firefight. And there's only one outcome. God wins, earth loses. You didn't ask for it because you were clay. Clay doesn't say, hey, I want to be a vessel of honor. I don't want to be in that little room over there with the silver lever attached to me. Clay doesn't do that. God dropped us into this. We deserve it. God made a covenant with Adam that would affect all of his descendants. Look at Haggai chapter 2. The next to last book of the, Bible, of the Old Testament, excuse me, or the third one from the end. Haggai, Ze Zephaniah Haggai, Zechariah Malachi. Haggai chapter 2. Zerubbabel is rebuilding the temple that Nebuchadnezzar tore to the ground. He's back with just 45,000 Jews in Jerusalem, which is a pile of rubble with oak trees growing out of it because it had been 70 years since it had been touched. And they don't have much money. They don't have all the gold and all the silver and all the brass and the iron that David gathered for Solomon to build a magnificent temple to the Lord. And so they're grieving over it. And God tells Zerubbabel in verse 4, and Joshua the high priest in verse 4, Be strong, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Don't worry about this little temple that you're building. I'm going to make it special myself. And so we have in verse 6, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Remember, it's the host, a multitude of the heavenly host that came down to announce the birth of Jesus Christ. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place... Will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Saith the Lord of hosts. Saith the Lord of hosts. Do you think there's anyone in heaven, earth, or hell that can stop God's plan of redemption for his people and to have made the second temple glorious? That second temple was torn to the ground by Titus Caesar, the son of Vespasian in 70 AD. This prophecy is 2,000 years old, already fulfilled. Because the desire of all nations, as we just sang about, remember I pointed it out to you, Abigail? The desire of all nations that we just sang about came to that temple. He came as an eight-day-old baby when Joseph and Mary brought him to be circumcised. He was in that temple when he was 12. He was in that temple when he was 30. He drove the money changers out of that temple. He preached in that temple. He did miracles in that temple. He poured out the Holy Ghost 
on men that went into that temple and preached, and there were 3,000 baptized. The desire of all nations came. The religious world was shaken, turned upside down. The Old Testament floated away. The New Testament was here to stay. 2,000 years ago, a prophecy was, well, the prophecy was made 2,500 years ago in front of it actually being fulfilled 2,000 years ago. What do we mean by peace? The Bible uses facets of salvation. You know, a diamond has various facets. Let's see if I can find one. And you can turn it in the light and see the different facets show up as you turn it so that the angle of the light can hit on a new face, which a facet is a face of a stone. There's facets of salvation. God uses economic terms for salvation called redemption. He uses legal terms for salvation like justification. He uses familial, family-related terms for salvation like adoption. But when it comes to peace, it's primarily these three words. Reconciliation, propitiation, and atonement. Very quickly, reconciliation. To bring two antagonistic and warring parties to a peaceful and final settlement of differences so that they are agreeable and united with each other again. Has God done that through Jesus Christ? He has. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Romans 5, 9 and 10, which you were to read last evening. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Propitiation. You understand reconciliation, don't you? It's to make things agreeable. Even if you're reconciling books, you're making a bank statement equal your accounting ledgers. It's making them agreeable. It's making them match. There's no difference between them. You don't want a financial difference, and we don't want a religious or spiritual or legal difference between us and God. Propitiation means to appease an offended party to bring about reconciliation and peace, to render propitious. Propitious means disposed to be favorable. We want God to be propitious toward us, favorable toward us. We want him to be appeased, and it's called propitiation. Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Oh, what a, it's the gospel of peace. Bring glad tidings of good things. And the good thing is God's made peace through the body and blood of his son. We need peace. Or we're going to go out of this world when death takes us down and death confirms that the Bible is true. Death confirms that everything I've said is true. Death confirms that God held the first Adam as our song leader just mentioned a few minutes ago. God held us all accountable for the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. Right. Why do babies die? Because of disease? Not a chance. Disease has nothing to do with it. Because of poor health care for pregnant mothers? Not a thing to do with it. Babies die because they're related to the first Adam. And so Romans 5, 12 through 14 tells us about a doctrine called original sin. It takes babies down. It takes every one of us down. But there's a second Adam. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, because we hated God. Everyone ever conceived in this universe has hated God. 
Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is now propitious toward us. He's been rendered propitious. He favors us. He's been appeased by the sending of his... And he sent his son to do it to him for us. Because we couldn't do a thing about it, and we didn't want to do a thing about it. We were God-haters by nature. Look at Romans chapter 5, the middle verse. Romans chapter 5. If there's 21 verses in Romans 5, what's the middle verse? Did I hear someone say 10? Let's have a chat afterwards. I'm just, just a moment, just a moment to relax, all of you. I'm not very relaxed, but I'd love the subject. The middle verse is verse 11. Then you have 10 on both sides. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's just Romans 5.11. I, I hope you'll love Romans 5. Romans 5. The first five verses. Our present standing in the fourth phase of grace. 6 through 11, what Jesus did for us on the cross. 12 through 19, the two Adams compared in the doctrine of representation. Verses 20 and 21, why God gave the law of Moses, and the law of Moses caused sin to abound, but grace has much more abounded through Jesus Christ. Incredible chapter. I want the 11th verse. I know that you know about 6, we were without strength, and Jesus died for us. Verse 7, a righteous man will barely do that. 8, God commended his love toward us while we were sinners. 9, he justified us by his blood and saved us from the wrath. Saved from wrath. See, that's what we're talking about right now. Peace. Peace. Saved from wrath. 10. Reconciled to God when we were enemies. 11. And not only so. Now listen, 6 through 10 has a lot in it. And not only so. Do you remember? Do you remember? I do. I'm old. It's fading. When a young man loves a verse of the Bible, I don't forget very often. And not only so. What do you mean? There's a lot. In verse 6, Jesus died. In verse 7, no one else would do it. Verse 8, he commended his love toward us while we were sinners, and so on and so forth. And not only so, but we also... There's another reason to glory in Jesus Christ, but we also glory in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Atonement is the third word of peace. Peace is by reconciliation, peace is by propitiation, and peace is by atonement. What does the word atonement mean? It's very simple, at one again. What are the first five letters of atonement? A-T-O-N-E, at one again. Two divided parties are united again at one. Very simply put, to put it one again, and Jesus did it for us. How did he do it? I'm going to show you that when we come to the Lord's table. He did it by his body and his blood. Do you think there just might be a passage in Scripture that says he's made peace with God by his body and his blood? Mm -hmm. Trust me. Mm -hmm. 
We'll get to it in just a moment. I'm running out of time, and I have a lot to do. The how of peace. How did God do it? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Look at Ephesians. We'll use some alternative passages. Ephesians chapter 2, just quickly for you to see the word peace. Peace is a simple concept. Hostilities, wrath, war is gone. We're agreeable. There's no differences. Can God make do that with men? He didn't do it with angels. How many sinful angels will make it to heaven? None. Who was the Savior for sinning angels? None. How many sins of angels has God forgiven? None. Is God angry with the angels right now? Yes. Reserved in chains to judgment of the great day. They're greater than us. Angels are a higher order of being. What has God done? He's done something by reaching lower than them to show them something. His hidden attributes of love that were hidden until us. Oh, I'm sorry to bring you such sad news today. By the way, the Lord's Supper is not a time to grieve. The Lord's Supper is a time to celebrate. Can I prove it to you? When Jesus ascended up into heaven 2,000 years ago, we get to see it in Revelation chapter 5. When he arrived, he looked like a lamb as it had been slain. What color is a lamb that had been slain? Red. Jesus arrives in heaven like a slain lamb, and he arrives in heaven also being called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He takes the book of the everlasting covenant out of the hands of Almighty God. No man in heaven, earth, or hell was able to do it. John was weeping about the fact that there was no one to get him the benefits of the last will and testament of God, the everlasting covenant. Jesus took the book and began ripping off the seals. And the choirs of heaven began sobbing. Sobbing as they said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and hath redeemed us to God by his blood. Were they sobbing? Do I need to say any more? They were celebrating while they were talking about his shed blood. We are not going to be foolish at the Lord's table. We are not going to jest. We're not going to laugh necessarily. We're going to remember his death and the suffering he went through. But we are going to celebrate the accomplishments of that death for us. He redeemed us to God. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he is our peace. Who is our peace? Is there someone named in the last word of verse 13? Jesus Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, that is, Jews and Gentiles, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having established in his flesh the enmity, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, 
and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. There was enmity. God was at war with men and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit unto the Father. Peace was obtained by Jesus Christ. So many other verses could be mentioned. Who brought peace for us? Jesus did. What is his title in Isaiah 9? The Prince of Peace. What is his title in Haggai? That, that God gave peace in the second temple? The desire of all nations. What was his title by the angels who announced his birth to the shepherds? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He's called the advocate with the Father in 1 John chapter 2. And he's called a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hold on for Wednesday night. The Lord willing. Melchizedek. What does Melchizedek mean? King of righteousness. What city was he king of? Salem, which is a short version of Jerusalem. What does Salem mean? Or should I say Shalom to make it easy for you? King of peace. Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace. Both stated as the meaning of his name and title in Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. You would never learn that from Genesis 14, nor from Psalm 110. But we have Hebrews 7 to enlighten us because the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you all things. Oh, yes. Even the interpretation of words and the proper translation of them. Wh whom? Who did Jesus do this for? Who is the whom of peace? God's elect. Amen. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Romans 8.32. And they are the ones that continue, which I'll show you momentarily. The when of peace. When did it occur? Daniel prophesied that it would occur 487 years and six months after Cyrus took the office of king of the Persian Empire. 70 weeks of years. And when was Jesus cut off? In the midst of the 70th week, leaving three and a half years. So we have 487.5 years after Cyrus became king of the Persian Empire, Daniel prophesied that he would make an end of iniquity and he would absolve us of our transgressions and he would bring in peace as the Messiah. That's the when. And it, it occurred exactly on schedule when Jesus cried, It is finished. Right. Why? I've just shown you why. Here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. 1 John 4.10 that was a hidden attribute. God was love. But when did God show his love to the universe? What did God need to show his love to the universe? He needed enemies like you and me. He bypassed the angels and came after us. That's the why of it. He chose to use some of Adam's fallen race to display his glorious grace. Amen. How much? 
How much peace did Jesus get us with God? Seriously. How much peace do we have? Is there enough? Well, when we read the New Testament, the Lord Jehovah, the great and dreadful and terrible God, those are his titles from the Old Testament, and he hasn't changed a whit, the Lord Jehovah is the God of peace. He's the God of peace. Right. You say, really? Yep. Romans 15, 33, 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Philippians 4, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. The Lord Jehovah is the God of peace. Amen. How in the world did that happen? It didn't come out of this world. It came from heaven Amen. in the Lord, person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did the Lord Jehovah say to our first parents in the Garden of Eden? Get out! What does he say now to us that believe? Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Right. How's that for a difference? How much is that? We do not barely get into heaven. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11 says that there will be an abundant entrance ministered to us. There are going to be servants making sure we get in and there will be an abundant entrance. We don't sneak through a crack in the door. That's what 2 Peter 1.11 teaches us. It's the difference between the rich man in hell and Lazarus in heaven being comforted. That's how much peace. How long will the peace last? Called of God to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Forever. 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 You don't mind me repeating it as many times as Paul did in Hebrews, do you? So I need to keep going. Forever. Forever. In Hebrews. Because he has the power of an endless life. Amen. Totally different from the priests of God under the Old Testament. Jesus has an endless life. His peace lasts as long as he lasts. And he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. What is the news of his peace? The gospel of peace. I love what Peter said to Cornelius, that Italian from the Italian band of the Roman Empire, as he opens up and starts his sermon, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. It's a, it's a fantastic verse. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ preached the means of peace, his death on the cross, and then in parentheses it says, he is Lord of all. Amen. Amen. What's the response of peace? Those forgiven much should love much. And those forgiven the most should love the most. Right. Jesus' love for Paul constrained him to seem insane to others in his love for his Savior, 2 Corinthians 5. My final passage before we come to the Lord's table, after a couple of songs, look at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. How should we respond? There was a need. There was a war. And God sent Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself, to propitiate us to himself, to put us at one again. It's wonderful. Yeah. 
instead of get out, it's enter into the joy of thy Lord. Luke chapter 19. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and he's greeted by an inspired crowd. And you know it well, but I want you to follow with me how we better respond to the gospel of peace. Luke 19, 38, saying, this is what the crowd is saying by inspiration. Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Sound familiar? And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So we ought to cry out about peace that he's given. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. An exclamation point. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I want you to notice back in verse, this is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the worst calamity that ever befell anyone on earth. Nothing in World War II comes close to what happened in Jerusalem to 1.1 million Jews in just a few months of starvation. Hiroshima was 70. Nagasaki was 70. And they didn't even have time to think about it. It was horrible in Jerusalem. Jesus said, it was the worst tribulation in the history of the world, nor will there be one like it afterwards until he burns this whole place up. But notice verse 42, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, because there Jesus Christ was preaching peace, and they turned against him, they were envious of him, they rebelled against him, and they crucified him. What are we going to do with him today? We're going to celebrate his death for us because he brought peace between us and God. Peace, glorious peace. And it's the gospel that tells us these things. Let's sing a song or two and go to the Lord's table.